Alright everyone, welcome to episode 113 of the Performance Advantage podcast, where we bring sports science to the people with myself, Dr. Will O'Connor, and Dr. Matt Miller, aka MTB PhD. We're both sports science educators, coaches, and athletes that work with a plethora of athletes across kind of any outdoor pursuit discipline. And this week on the show, it was a wild ride, I have to say. So we had on, we've got on Jack Kelly, who is the host of how they train podcasts and I mean he's kind of blown up recently breaking some big exclusives in the Colin Chartier doping case he also um, had a wild podcast with the CEO of Ironman Andrew Messick and he's just on top of all things long course triathlon at the moment so I highly recommend you checking out uh, how they train podcasts Jack was an elite level triathlete himself in Australia, so he's a lot of behind the scenes contacts that he's leveraging to get the most up to date information. And so on this show, like we really went no limits conversation around doping and what does it take to get to the top. And it was uh yeah, there was definitely interesting chats in there and Matt had some outrageous suggestions. Uh but I'll just leave it to you guys to listen away. It's way longer than a normal one, but I think uh, you're really going to enjoy it. So if you're looking for coaching or educational sports science content, make sure you check out drwilloconnor.com, mtbphd.com, or performanceadvantagepodcast.com for our courses and coaching services. All right, till next time, guys. Enjoy. All right, Jack, so there's been lots going on around your show, How They Train podcast, um, which has kind of morphed from just a kind of simple show around talking to coaches and athletes about how they train into some some pretty massive topics, one of them obviously being the, the recent Colin Chartier doping case. But before that, I'd message you to, to come on our show to talk about like what we talk about as well. It's like, different training methodologies, different you know, scientific interventions to help people become better athletes. And and the, now it's kind of like, I guess the topic of the show is like, what does it take to get to the top? I mean, we've got different training methods. We've got these coaches. We've got sports scientists. Um, then we've got like top athletes, doping. Then we've got age groupers, the majority of our listener base, right? Like 99% of anyone's real listener base is going to be age group is trying to figure out how to get to the top so i used to start like what's your you you tried to make it to the top right to be a profitable athlete triathlete um can anyone make it to the top no no not close and i think that's a misconception in our sport i think that our sport as when you say our sport you're saying triathlon I'm saying specifically long course triathlon. I think this is probably the same for most endurance sports, cycling, um, running and swimming, definitely swimming. And probably I would say definitely running. You can not, there is, there is not a question that nobody that like that anyone who wants to can, can make it, uh, as a top professional you, that swimming and running, no, cross that off. Um, not everyone is capable of being a, a top tier pro cycling is the one where, I think it's closest to anyone who wants to make it can make it, although it's still extremely hard. Um, and it's probably not true. It's the closest, but probably not true. Um, just because 
cycling is a, a sport that rewards um, hard work. And if you're someone who's willing to put in the work, then there's not a mechanical um, side of it. So there's like not a really huge technical side of it or skill-based side of it. It really does come down to physiology a lot. Now, obviously, there's some bike handling stuff that, that comes, but anyone who rides 20, 30 hours a week for, you know, five years is going to get on top of their bike handling. Um, maybe there's some people, like there's some people who are naturally a little bit scared and, and never going to, but but most people can get there if they really want. Triathlon's tricky because it blends all of them. Like, And I think we're seeing now that someone as good as Lionel Sanders is struggling uh, at the very top tier races because of his swim being quite poor. People don't realize though, Lionel Sanders isn't a bad swimmer. Like, the average age grouper thinks of Lionel Sanders like them when it comes to his swim. He's not. You know, I've seen swim sessions he's done. He's not a bad swimmer. People just don't quite understand how high the level of swimming at, at like the very top level of professional male triathlon has got. And even now, to be honest, professional female triathlon, it was lagging a little bit behind, but but the top end swimming there is now extremely high as well. Um so to circle back, no, not everyone can make it uh, at the top of, of these endurance sports. You have to have some sort of um, physiological talent. And definitely uh, there's a psychological component. You have to be a certain kind of person. You can't be weak. And th that's quite a – I think everyone thinks they're a bit tougher than they are. I know I do. I I'm, sure, like, I'm sure most people do. You go, no, no, I'm mentally tough. No, I reckon I deal with pain pretty well. Not many no way. No way. Most people can't. And yeah. if, uh, you know, just take a day in the life of a pro, right? And be like, nah, I don't, I don't want to do that. That is way too uncomfortable. I don't have that kind of time. I would rather just like hang out on the couch. Yeah. Well, that's a big thing. You got to be so dedicated and committed. It's a tough lifestyle. So when I was a young kid trying to make it, like I grew up playing, um, you know, skill-based sports, tennis, football, that kind of thing moved away um, to a little training camp at the Australian Institute of Sport, you know, for some testing. And then they sort of like um, got me involved in triathlon. And I spent like three years training a lot, like a lot, a lot. There was a six-month patch where I didn't do a single week um, of under 30 hours a week. It's a tough lifestyle and it's an isolating lifestyle. Um, ultimately, I ended up like breaking my my pelvis and femur. And I ne I've never, ever gotten back to, to any sort of decent training after that. Like... Um, my body's just cooked from it. Um, but I don't think I would have made it anyway because I was starting to psychologically not be myself because of the training. I was extremely isolated. I was getting quite, not depressed, but I was on the path to sort of depression because I was training so much. I was so fucked all the time. I wasn't seeing friends. I was, and like, I didn't go about it the right way. I think it would have broken me anyway to be honest. And this is where like you see these guys and you hear about their training and you, it, you can kind of get a bit numb to, to it all and be like, oh yeah, that's just what everyone does. It's really hard to do. It's really hard. And it's really hard to do it for a long enough period of time to get, you know, all of the, the, the chronic adaptation you need to, to make it at the top and all the experience you need to make it at the top. Um, it's a tough lifestyle. And that might be the biggest reason why not everyone can make it as well as a little physiological component. I guess it also depends like when you start as well. Like if you start when you're really young trying to make it to the top, you have a much greater shot. But if someone's tuning in and they're an age grouper now trying to make it to the top, their chances of it actually happening are that much lower because they don't have the years and years and years of like building the plumbing and all the, uh, the cells inside their muscles to be able to do it, to even sustain the volume needed to get to the top. Like 
we're but starting also, way off the back foot. Like when you look at uh, up until under 23, you know, that's kind of where you're in these age-based elite teams. You, No one gives a shit if you're making money or not or contributing to society. It's like, oh, you're doing like a selfish endeavor to try and like be a professional athlete. That's cool. You start to drift above that into like the pro, like you should be a pro pro, like actually making money and you're not. And it's like, oh, okay, now what? You know, like it's, what should you, everyone's like, yeah, whatever, you're 19 years old and you're traveling around the world and living out of a suitcase and barely making ends meet, relying on parents. You're like, oh, that's understandable. That's fine. We've all been there at some point at university or whatever. But then 25, 26, 27, and you're like had a real shit season or like you've missed a team, there's like no money there. And you're just like, well, how do you get through that? Firstly, just to touch on what Matt was sort of saying, um, I do think the days of being a, like a, a, a middle 20s age grouper and making it as a successful pro are completely done. So that's a bit separate again from the can anyone make it as a pro. I think there's a caveat there that I am thinking about someone who maybe starts trying when they're 17, 18, 19, you know, maybe up to like 22. If you're a 27-year-old getting into long course triathlon, as an example, you're you're not making it to the top. It doesn't exist anymore. There's not a single triathlete in the world who's like that anymore. Um, there has been historically. You know, a really famous example is like Tim Reed. He was um, he was 25 when he started as a teacher, and he went on to win a 70.3 world championship. Um, Lucy what about Cat Ch- Matthews. Yeah, I mean the the, the Lucy Charles and Cat Matthews. Uh, they're probably the last of it. And um, uh, Lucy Charles was an Olympic open water swimmer. That's like you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But she was an age grouper. So yeah. we have to counter even, we, we like, you know, because there, there is lots of 27-year-old um, people out there who aren't professional triathletes with extremely high swimming backgrounds, running backgrounds, cycling backgrounds. So I have to I have to take them into account when I'm talking about can like a 27, 28-year-old age grouper um, get into the sport and make it as a professional. They're the, they're the exceptions. Like if you're a really good swimmer or a really good runner, you can give yourself a chance, but you have to be really good because the top end swimming and running and triathlon now is such a high level. But if you're like someone like me, barely, has barely trained for the last five years compared to a professional or, you know, someone who was doing another sport and gets into it and you're 27 to 30 and you have like this dream of making it as a professional, that used to be possible in our sport. Like it really did. And a lot of professionals did it. Chrissy Wellington, for example, is a, a famous example. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not unless you're willing to to do some really uh, ethically and mor- morally wrong things to get <laughs> probably the one exception. But if you're going to do it clean, uh, no way. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys see that doco on Graham O'Brien? It's on. I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or YouTube or. Is the movie? Yeah. No, it's like more of a doco. Anyway, like he's uh, he he goes about things so untraditionally. This is the guy that had those wacky aerodynamic position superman position he made his own bikes he and he wrote his own training program as well he, he was doing this when he was young and then he obviously made it to a very high level i'm pretty sure he won a medal at the worlds or yeah, some point on the track yeah and he got and the, the hour record so but he didn't like so he made it to the top he started young but he, he did it all his own way and this is like the era when doping was like oh yeah well everyone's doing it everyone's doping right 
but he didn't have his own coach, like because he he was his own coach. Do you think that's possible anymore? To so like, like does the coach at really matter? Can you do it yourself? Just kind of winging it and riding a lot. Oh, so this is a good question, and I guess it depends. So, are you someone who's like a twenty-eight-year-old professional who has? had a history of coaching and now has decided to go uncoached and, and or self-coached or are you an 18 year old who's like no i'm going to take this journey from start to finish uncoached or are you someone who's 25 and getting into it uncoached what what specifically well you know like let's let's narrow that down a little bit more okay so, i'll i'll give you the, the scenario i you have um you're 17 16 17 and you're just like you love mount, whatever endurance sport you know cross-country mountain biking whatever and you're winning like the nationals or your top three or whatever and you're just like having a go and then someone is like oh well you're in this team now so you can do the world cups and whatever and you're like i got no money i i've been doing fine do i need a coach yep alistair brownley that's exactly what he's done he's never been coached He'll, he'll sort of like paint this story like he has coaches a little bit. He doesn't. He is a self-coached athlete and has been his whole life. The, probably the exception in his world is he, he's he been to swim squad his whole life. So I guess technically he has had always had a swim coach. But in terms of a triathlon coach or a running or cycling coach, he doesn't have them. You know, he has people there who might like say something every now and then. But he runs his own program and he has since he was like 15. All the way through to now, it's like almost a 35-year-old. You know, it, it, I think it's very possible. It doesn't matter. Um, coaches, coaches, honestly, are not physiological uh, preparers at the top level as much as their psychological companions, um, and that's something yeah. that people don't understand. That's a huge part of it. Like working with the athletes at the top, they they need you as a person more than anything, and that really becomes the main thing when they're at the top. But you know, we see this. Uh, I don't follow triathlon that much, but I follow those top guys and it seems like they all have the same coach and they do this Norwegian system that Will's always talking about. We did an episode on that and uh, it's like, okay, I'm an age grouper. I'm a pretty good age grouper. This isn't me, by the way, but let's say I'm a a pretty good age grouper. I'm like, you know what? I want to make it to the top. I'm going to hire that guy to be my coach. Or like a damn blues as well. Yeah, I think a good coach will only make life easier. So the, is the question, can you make it without a coach? Yes, you can. But that's not to say that that same athlete with a coach wouldn't have an easier time doing it. So if we say, before we go to Matt's kind of point, if we stay on that, like you got your Alistair Brownlee, two-time Olympic gold medalist. Does that mean, because I actually kind of have this thought that I think if you take the top, I know a couple juniors that have, you know, now raced pro cycling and it's like, they, they're just gifted. Like we had, we had them through the lab, Matt, you saw like VO2 max higher than everyone else. Um, like age group schools, performances above everyone else. And they were just always going to be better than everyone else. So like, what was it coaching? Was the Norwegian system was like a, a high intensity system, a low volume, high volume, like, that threshold-based training system, was anything going to work? Or like, would, can you just take Hayden Wild, didn't go through any um, New Zealand's uh, top triathlete, short course, bronze medal with Olympics. Can you just take any amazingly gifted, physiologically gifted athlete and just be like, yeah, wait, where you go? Yes. 
Nothing and everyone else is screwed? Yes. It's like a, the jury when you get the public jury appointed to you. You're like, well, I'm definitely going to lose, right? When you get the like real low-end lawyer that's only just getting started. I think like in that case, if you think about the courts, that uh, that publicly appointed lawyer could really ruin your case, right? But if you get this really dope lawyer, they can maybe really help you and totally turn around like the verdict of your case. Yeah, I, I kind of physiologically or in a career sense. You know, like for an athlete, because like you think about what um, the the relationships you've kind of built with some brands, so some like connections you have around the world, it's like that's going to help. A 19 year old far more than you knowing that you know x times five minute four days no, before the race well, is going to i don't think that's the point matt, matt's making I, I think the analogy matt's making is that the physiological gifted person is the elite lawyer and the the not physiological gifted person is the shitty lawyer isn't isn't that what you're saying matt that like no matter how no matter like you know like the physiological gifted person is just going to make such a like he's going to do so much better than the non-physiological gifted person I think you're right, but what I'm thinking is that if you hire that really <laughs> shitty lawyer, your chances of failing increase, right. right? So if you're a highly gifted athlete and you hire the worst coach possible just because it's someone that your old man knew from the rugby club, I yeah. think your chances of not succeeding are much yeah. higher, even if you're really gifted. Yeah, yeah, sorry. I understand. Um so yes, you could be the most gifted athlete in the world, but if your coach is constantly getting you sick and injured, then that's no good, right? Um, and you're chronically overdoing it. Like if you go and you train 50 hours a week or 60 hours a week, you're obviously going to break down. That, that, so there's, there's exceptions to what I'm saying, but it's only crazy outlying exceptions. If you just have like a pretty, you know, you, could, you don't even have to have a good coach. This, this, so triathlons is a sport that's like inundated with shitty coaches it's just part of our business. So every 35-year-old age grouper um, who get, stays in the sport for like 10 years at some point has the theory, like the idea, maybe I should like start coaching. It just happens in our sport. And like every single person listening to this, if you're even somewhat related to, to triathlon, can think of a person. If not, probably multiple people in your head. It's because it's just like rife in our sport. Um, and so we just are, are a sport littered with triathlon coaches and like they're all just people um, – who coach some age groupers and build like a little in, like a little squad, um, but the, the actual coach was just someone who started triathlon and and loved it and stayed in and was like you know I can make some money from from this sport how good, um, but even those coaches they're not good coaches like they they might some of those people are extremely gifted people person and can build a little club and it's a great thing for the sport but in terms of coaching at like the high end level they're shitty coaches, but even those guys as long as they don't do something crazy they could take a Hayden Wild. And he would still be, you know, a world-class athlete just because of who Hayden Wild is. Now, that's not to say that like Dan Flues or Dan Larang or Olav Alexander Boo couldn't do more with him. They could, but it's tiny little, it's tiny little differences at the top. He would still, it might be the difference between coming 10th at the Olympics and third at the Olympics. He would still be there and he would still be one of the best. That's a big difference. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, you know, when I, um, so we, <laughs> I follow triathlon very closely and I tried to be good at it as well. Um, and so it was the, the, the Kona podium this year. It was like Norwegian, random young dude, Norwegian. Say that for the people who have no idea what these names mean. But, you know, like, so Gustav Eden and then um, 
uh, Sam Lalo, who's like, what is he, 23, 24 years old? And he's like a French-British dude. Yep. And then there's like the Olympic gold medalist, previous world champion. Um, and I was like, what, like, what is the cost of that, of those that first and third place compared to the cost per medal, you know, of of this guy in second place? And same with the the Olympic podium where you have like Christian Blumenfeld saw gold's worth way more than like Hayden Wild's bronze. But like just look, just follow, you know, the extent at which they are putting science behind their program, the Norwegians, I mean, and like what are are they getting everything out of that? Is it necessary? Um no, it's not necessary. Uh, and and I'm not sure like how much of what the Norwegians doing uh, like I don't know what they do. I, d- I don't know what they do. You don't know what they do. No one knows what they do. They won't come on your podcast. Well, yeah, I love Alexander Boo, the the coach. He came on my podcast. We did a four hour podcast. I know little bits, but the, the reality with with Olaf Alexander Boo, Christian Blumenfeld, and Gustav Eden is they they train together. Those three, um, and and they're still like relative. They're not secretive. But they they don't let people in. Like they're tight. They're they're a tight little like group of three who trust each other and do everything together. I don't actually know what they're doing. I know like the parts they show. So they might be doing way more than what I even think they would, or or maybe they're doing a little bit less and they are just really focusing on the basics. It's actually quite hard to tell. So I think they're I think they're good and they're at like the cutting edge of technology. Like they love using technology. But I don't know how much different their training is from like Sam Laidlow in second or Maxi Newman in fourth. My 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 guess and my like my my educated guess is it's not that different. Dude, like how valuable though are smoke and mirrors and making people really wonder. Like being on the other side and having people wonder what you're doing Brilliant. is worth so much. And we yep. see that in in mountain biking as well. Oh, so mountain biking! Guys, people wrapping up their suspension. Like. Yeah. So they they hook up all these data acquisition systems onto their bikes, and all these sensors everywhere. I know for a fact that they're not getting everything that they could be out of those sensors. I don't even know if they're actually using the information, but that looks badass having it on your bike. And when you roll around the front of the pits, and everyone's looking at you with that bike with all that dope gear. That goes a long way to scare everyone and it goes a long way in your head and in your team's head to just elevate your performance that little bit more. Yeah, the smoke and mirrors thing is genius, mate. So the Norwegian mind games are genius. There's some classic stories that like not a lot of people know about of things they've done. Like seriously, brilliant things. So Olav Alexander Boo. So at Kona last year where Will talks about where Gustav Eden, he came first uh, and Christian Blumenfeld, he came third. I love Alexander Boo, their coach. He went into transition one in the morning. So um, at like an Ironman event or a, a triathlon event in the morning, um, you go into transition one where the bikes are and you sort of just prepare. You're just like fumbling around. You're doing fuck all is the reality, but you're just like standing there. like Repumping your tires. Yeah. And stuff like you, you're not, it's completely pointless, but it's part of the sport. And so Christian and Gustav are in there, you know, fiddling around, not doing anything, but just chilling. And Olaf's Alexander Boo, he walks in in a panic, right? So he walks into transition one in a panic. He has a laptop and like all these notebooks and he sits down in transition one and he opens his laptop and he starts like yelling shit. He starts like freaking out 
and everyone's looking at him like, what's he doing? Like, what's going on here? And he's like, and Christian and Gustav are like surrounding him and they're like, like pretending like something big's going on. Nothing was going on. They were just fucking with people. They were just taking people's minds off it. They were making people think like, what's going on? What are, like, what are the Norwegians doing? You know, stuff like that. They, they just, who thinks to do something like that? And like, I've had multiple athletes report this to me, um, like Maxi Newman who came forth and some other athletes and who are off the record, so I won't say their name, but, and saying like, it fucked with me mentally. Like it really fucked with me because they were going like crazy in there. Uh, and it's just genius. Like they do so much stuff like that. And like all, like all their videos and social media about technology and about, um, you know, their heat training, they refuse to tell people what they're doing with their heat training. I, I don't think they're doing much special. Like I really don't from what I can gather, but they're, they're so genius in making people think that they have a secret that when people come up against them on hot days, they think they're at a disadvantage. You know, it, they're, they're, they're geniuses and people buy into it. This Norwegian method thing has legs of its own. It, like it, it, it's, it's genius. I'm, I'm I, like, I think it has a bigger impact on their marketing and ability to make money and get people to talk about them than it does actual performance. Dude, even just like talking about how bullshit it is gets me excited about like trying it <laughs> and nervous about what they're actually doing. Exactly. It's working. Well, like we it's have those, you know, we had core on the podcast. We've got those sensors. I mean, they have the um the lab uh like the higher sampling rate ones. But like you get your data from those things a few times and you know what it's doing, you know? And they're like putting them all over themselves and it's just like shit. I need, I need something else, you know. And I've had um, pros reach out to me like, "Oh, science is getting more. Like, what can you do? Like, how can we test all this stuff?" And sure, like, um, in terms of all the aerodynamic stuff and shoe testing, like, I think that's really important. But a lot of it, you're like, "Well, unless you're going to do VO2 testing every week on every like specific session, you're not going to get any reliable data out of it." And to do that would be such a headache. Yeah, and they definitely don't do that. Which, which, like, to circle back to our um, our discussion we were having, like this technology and like the world's best coach, it it can all help, but it's not like completely necessary. If you're a gifted physiological and and, and psychologically really resilient athlete, um, yeah, you can make it to the top of endurance sports. If you're a little bit deficient in either of those areas, it's going to be really really tricky. Um, and if you're a lot deficient, it's it's going to be impossible. I think like the psychological at a certain point, like yeah, so you're tracking, tracking, tracking with improving your fitness, and like we get to this near top level. It's my belief that to make it to that like extra little bit, it does get a little bit psychological, and not in the way that people think about sports psychology, where you're mentally strong. Because <laughs> I don't really believe in that. I don't um, believe in mentally beating someone in a race just because you wanted it, you willed it to to being. I don't believe that, but I think like being mentally strong in that, you know, the example that you gave about the Norwegians at the start of the race where they, they preempted this scene that they were going to cause. Not only did they have to do their training because they need to be able to perform, not only did they need to have their gear dialed, but they also got together and they're like, all right, we're going to do this early in the morning. We're going to make a scene just to mess with people. Now, that takes a lot for you to be able to plan and to do in addition to your race. So psychologically, you need to be really well organized even just to do that, not to mention to get the sessions done. Yeah, and I think resilience is under-talked about as well. Like I'm with you. This whole like 
this whole concept that you know someone's just mentally tougher than than everyone else it's just not really true and it's it's not my experience of the sport there's not like some guy who's rock hard mentally and never gives up these guys are all like that at the top of the level and i say guys that's a gender neutral term guys and girls the top the top percent who are competing you know the top 20 athletes in the world they're not like breaking each other's spirits on a race course something else is giving up before it's the mental side of things like there's like physiological limiting factors that that will will stop you from from winning far before your your brain gives in from for someone else's will type thing but like resilience to to do what you have to do day to day um being like smart so and not smart in the sense that you do all the right things but being a smart person makes your your chance of success much higher in, a, in an endurance sport and that's like a, a psychological um, factor that like a lot of people don't think about. Being dumb can really hurt. I've your... always said that like you you won't find dumb people at the top. No, it doesn't exist. Just, they're not. They're, yeah, just have yeah. it. Yeah, most of them have got like they've been through university or like they're just they're so switched on because exactly. you've got like you run a business, a business at which relies on you being physically able to perform on a single day like four or five times a year. I think the sport where this is like the best example of this is, is fighting. It's not even any of our sports. So people have these ideas in their head that fighters are like thugs, tough guys, you know, don't give a fuck. And it's like, it's not true. The best of the best, like the best MMA fighters in the world, the best, best boxers in the world, they're smart guys, smart guys and girls. They're incredibly smart. They're great at skill-based learning. They're, they're, they obviously have some phy- um, physiological talent to a degree, but they're smart people. Like, they really are. And so people might watch, like, the UFC um, and think, like, oh, these guys are just, like, thugs. And then you meet these people at the top and you're like, oh, they're, like, really smart good people and it's because to get to that high level of any sport you can't just be a dumb like tough guy it doesn't exist not even in a sport like fighting it literally doesn't exist now it's same in down like gra- gravity mountain biking which is what i deal a lot with like those guys talk about smoke and mirrors like downhill's about looking cool being badass and just kind of sending it but oh, the, the top riders the top riders are so switched on and like even win masters he does that win tv at every race and he just like kind of presents himself as a goofball and he is not like that in real life that guy is super switched on and people would never guess that from watching some of those videos and it's just kind of the image you got to you got to be smart to make it but you also need to give this image of what the actual sport is portraying and for downhill mountain biking it's just kind of the send it culture so if you live and breathe by the send it culture I don't even know what to call it, but like that doesn't mean that you're actually going to make it because you still need to be really smart. Yeah, exactly. Hey, um, can I ask you guys a, a podcast question just to quickly sort of divert a little bit here? Go for uh, it. When you guys are, are podcasting, right, and you're talking about sport, uh, particularly endurance sport, how much do you like talking about straight facts like physiology, um, psychology conversations like we're having now versus how much do you like just sort of having goofy gossipy chats about you know people inside the sport and on that do you think people prefer to listen to you talking really deep detailed dive into things like we're doing now or do you think people prefer like 
the the gossipy personable side of things. Like, do you think people are more interested in the story of Olav Alexander Boo, Christian and Gustav in transition too, or do you think they're more interested in talking about their heat training? Mm. <laughs> I, let's let's see. Uh, what what did they do in transition two? Is that where they had the like the yelling argument? Because that's quite cool. But also, yeah. I think our audience they're interested in listening to the science stuff too. So See, we, I would be going for me personally. I'm like, why did they do that? Like, what was the premise behind doing that? Like the 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 behind base, like all like oh, like this is what they did. That's interesting, and that's like the um, I guess something you'd follow an athlete for, like um, you know, other podcasts where I like the the science side of things and i would actually personally be like oh this is a bit light on the science (laughs) because we're not speaking like directly about hard numbers or methodology or like implementation protocols you know at a certain level though science becomes gossip because there's two sides to every story and the science is riddled with all sides like multi-dimensional sides so then you're just like kind of talking shit on the different side that you've read in the literature or that you know from this experience. So I think yeah. it's a little bit of both. Yeah. It's a question I always ponder, like which which direction should you lean into more? Because I know like my podcast started probably more like your podcast, really deep, like specific training chat, um, detail oriented. And over time, it's still, that's still like, the foundation of it and what it's like sort of built in. But over time it's become, you know, more about the people and the stories and like, yeah, fun anecdotes and that kind of thing. So it's just something that I always, I always think about and it's good to get like perspective of other podcasts. Well, I think like with following your podcast a little bit, um, you've transitioned from a podcast like ours, you know, as um, uh, something we do for fun. We like to share our, insights and experiences and get some people on um to provide some content for people to listen to and then what you're doing now especially on like instagram and this with the the doping scandal within triathlon that you covered with colin shatia the guy who was doping it's like you're becoming a media house and what's super interesting about that is no one like when you're a media house just have a look at uh at any kind of on a runner's world or whatever um kind of media outlet people are going to you for everything you know how to the five best um bike workouts that um you know that the norwegians do on a on a daily and it's like that's cool and why they do that but then also um how you like what the fuck is happening with doping in the sport and what do all the athletes think? That's, that's super interesting. And someone needs to cover that. Um, and yeah, so like, but it's just, you got to choose your lane, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And it, but it's like, how broad can your lane be? This is something that I think about all the time and people, I'm not sure if people give a fuck about this. <laughs> Again, it's like, it's, this is the thing with a podcast, isn't it? I love a podcast where I feel like I'm the fly on the wall between mates having chats. I don't really care what they talk about often. Um, it's like, as long as it feels like, you know, the people I'm listening to like each other and they've got like 
good banter and uh, and good rapport, I'll sit there and listen to it. So I always assume like the conversation topic doesn't matter as much as like the connection that people have. Um, so that's a little bit of a, a, a an aside, but um, like I sort of think how how broad can your niche be before it's not a niche and you, and you lose value. And so like say with me, my niche started really small, like training, like training for triathlon mainly. Wait, actually, didn't you have a lot of AFL guys on? Yeah, so this is interesting. Like um, I – it's like how much detail do you give before it's boring? But like <laughs> when I started my podcast, I just had this idea. I, I did not think there was a podcast out there that went on went deep on the specifics of how professional athletes trained. I thought there was so much general stuff about like you might you know, you might – talk about physiology and training in general, but I didn't think there was anything out there for like, how does Will O'Connor train himself? What exactly does he do? How does he do it all? I, I like, I didn't think that was out there and I wanted to listen to it and I didn't think it was out there in any sport. Like the, the example I always thought of is how much would people have loved it? If like in 2012, when Brad Wiggins won the tour de France, if he went out and did a podcast and said, Hey, here is every single session I did on what day I did it, how I did it every week. And he did that like, all year round that podcast would kill it same with any professional athlete like soccer fans if lionel messi came out and said this is all the training i do and just went deep on it that kind of shit would take off and i'm like that's never been done like never ever has that been done in in a podcast or or anything like that and so i loved that concept that concept and I, i kept saying to myself like yeah there's like that's where the name how they train came from because it was like what I would ask myself with that concept, like, well, how do they train? Um, and so the original name for the podcast was going to be, how do they train? Question mark. Um, and then, you know, as I, as I like sort of narrowed the idea down a little bit more, it became how they train. And so then my podcast was going to be like, I'm just going to get all the biggest athletes from all the different sports in the world and talk about how they train. But my passion has always been like triathlon or, or it's my, it's one of my passions that I know the most about and I'm closest to an expert in. I'm really passionate about like a few other things. Like I love F1. I, I love um, the, the UFC. I love AFL football, all these things, but I would never be considered one of the world's leading experts in those things. Whereas I think I'm not too far off one of the world's leading experts in triathlon. That sounds like super arrogant to say. And I actually just felt really cringe saying, but, but it's, is it because the face will made when you said it? I didn't look. I'm like, <laughs> uh, but like, it's probably not that far off the truth. Like, realistically, and that was something that, and I say that only because I had to think. I had to think that when I made the decision. Well, where is this going to like take off? Where is this podcast or this idea going to take off? Like, am I ever going to really speak to audiences from sports that? I don't know enough about to be doing it. And my triathlon episodes were doing so much better than my other episodes. And I think it was just because I like, I had access to great triathlon guests because of my, my like where I'd been in the sport, uh, which wasn't like really high or anything, but it was higher than other sports. Um, and like my ability to communicate with them and talk to them, I think was just so much better because I, I actually know about the sport and like I've been there. Um, and so I, I learned pretty quickly through download numbers that like I've got to lean into this triathlon thing way more than, than other areas. And the only reason I didn't is because I didn't think there was like much space for it to take off. I thought it would be like really small and it turns out to have been the opposite. Like my triathlon episodes were killing it compared to the other sports. And, and I was like, this is great because I actually want to do a triathlon podcast. Like in an ideal world, I wouldn't have done a podcast called how they train. 
if I had have started the podcast I really wanted to at the start, it would have been like, uh, like, you know, something like this name's already been taken, but that triathlon show, I would have done something like that and just talked about all things triathlon from the start. And I wish I had it on reflection. So that's why like I've started my new show, The Triathlon Hour, which is really the show I wish I was able to make, but I didn't have the confidence to do. Um, is that where you're talking about getting more gossipy? Not is that goss- what the other one's for? Not gossipy. It's just more general. So it's, it's everything about triathlon that isn't training. So racing, analysis, breakdown, stories, you know, just general. Yeah, it could be a bit of news and current affairs. Do you know what I mean? Well, the problem, so like Matt and I have talked a whole bunch about doing different things. And I know what you're saying in terms of like where you're going to. So one of our most popular episodes is like we did this one on like VO2 max. Is it still relevant with Tim, Dr. Tim Podlicker? And it's like he's like similar age to us. And we just talked about shit about the scientific industry and like how these norms have developed and how that like some of them are just bullshit and we just rely on them because that's just the easiest way to get publications and all that. Um, and so I can see how that happens with you with triathlon. You can speak the language and you know all the, the backstory. But in the end, I think like you you end up in this in the same lane as Runner's World. We're like, okay, well, I need to make money. This gets the numbers. This gets the clicks revealed. This, insert clickbaity title, you know, and then before you know it, you're like, man, I'm really disingenuous now. Like I wanted to start a a podcast about this and now I'm just like, doing it for the clicks for me i don't give a fuck about the clicks or the attention or anything like that but what i care about is fun right and so my premise that i live by at the moment is am i having fun with the content i'm creating and now that might be a little bit like clickbaity in nature sometimes like i don't think i've ever like gone to that point where i'm like i think my definition of clickbait is when you're sort of like making it seem like this story is about something that it's not for example like you know, making it seem like someone had sex with someone else that they didn't. And then it just goes on to be that it was their wife or whatever. Like you won't believe who Will O'Connor was caught with uh, last night or something like that. And it was just like someone peeped through his window and he was sleeping with his wife. Do you know what I mean? That's clickbait to me. So I would, I think going down that path is like ridiculous and stupid, but like hosting fun things like going on Instagram or on, on your Twitter or whatever it is and posting something that's fun and a little bit like, um, playful in nature or gets people talking I, like that's what drives me is this fun if i was a fan of the sport following this thing would i be entertained by this and enjoy engaging with this that's what i want to do and if that leads to more like downloads great if it doesn't also great it doesn't matter that the idea is that you provide content that distracts people from their lives because that's what sport is. That's what entertainment is. It's like, hey, you're sitting at your desk and you're fucking miserable while you're working and you pick up your phone for a little dopamine hit and open up Instagram. Well, if you do that, like me, then I want to make sure that my content you see while you're doing that entertains you and makes that little period fun. And same when you listen to my podcast. I want you to listen to my podcast and then 30, 60 minutes later be like, that was really fun. You know what I mean? I was entertained. I enjoyed that. That that's what that's what's driving me at the moment. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you do you do um like the worst thing for me to listen to is an interview. Man, if you like listen to an interview in like a traditional sense of an interview, that that's the last thing I'll put on. I don't know if you do you do them like that or do you like just talk shit while you're doing interviews? I think we can probably pick up on what he how he does it. <laughs> 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 so the topic we're talking about now. You're just talking shit. 
I reckon there's an exception to this because I agree traditional interview is dead, but I don't care where you sit politically. I don't care if you love this person or hate this person. Donald Trump interviews are amazing. He's the only person who I can sit down and watch a traditional interview with because it's just wild. Like you'll sit there and you'll go through like these five to six different topics and you're like, that is a roller coaster. Like he's, I don't even think of him as a politician. Like I think of him as someone I like consume on Instagram or YouTube as entertainment. But, but that's different. Like, um, you know, I'd say you're the, the Colin Chartier one, the convicted doper EPO, like that was an interview, right? You, I mean, there was, you, you tried to give him some feedback, but what you're saying about Donald Trump, that's, that's, you're asking for his opinion on certain topics. That's way different than being like, what time do you wake up and how hard do you go? And like, do you have a nap or not? Like that's, it's more like what you're asking now, right? It's like, yeah, give me your opinion on, on the Norwegian method. Like, Good, bad, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the Colin one is interesting that you bring that up. I guess it was interviewee. Like Colin's a friend of mine, right? So for people, I'm assuming most people listening to this know, but Colin Chartier, triathlete, long course triathlete, got tested, um, uh, failed an out of competition drug test for EPO, um, came on my podcast. It's the only podcast he's done to talk about it. Um, he's a good friend of mine. That That's probably... Uh, at the end of the day, why he came on my podcast. And so that was a really awkward one. And it probably felt a bit interviewee because it was so awkward. It was the most uncomfortable shit ever. Like we were talking on the phone before we did the podcast, just like, you know, very casually, which, which might sound crazy. Like I'm about to interview someone with an exclusive, like an exclusive interview with this convicted doper who everyone in the sport fucking hates in in this moment. And I'm talking to him on the phone beforehand, pretty casually. And we're like, all right, let's, let's go get this interview done. And then we do it. And it was just like, cause I had to be serious and they're like, it's like, it's a big issue, but like, it's, it was impossible to do. I, I would urge you to think of it as, as if Will and Matt, you were both like professional triathletes and one of you found out that the other doped and you had to interview each other about it. Oh, Matt would love that. I can just be all over it. You would. You think you would. And then you realize, oh, it's not fun. Like, because you can't. No, because you know their lives have been destroyed. Yeah, you can't have fun with it. Like me and Colin... I could easily have turned that into you a little bit more like jovial and friendly and it would have become less interviewee and fun. But then you can't do that because it's disrespectful to the situation and it's disrespectful for, to, for the athletes that Colin has hurt and money he's stolen from them and, you know, and the ethical and moral boundaries he's crossed. Like that shit you have to take really serious in professional sport. There's no you, way. You and, can't be like, hey, bro, like, yeah, but how good was that EPL? Exactly. Like, you couldn't ask that. Maybe in like a month or so. Give no, it some off, time. Off air, you can ask that. Off air, I can say to Colin, like, hey, like, how good did you feel? Like, what, what, did it make, like, did it make this, how much easier did it make this? Like, how did you feel? You, you can ask those questions on air. I just didn't think the tying for me to do it was, was right then. I think in six months' time, I could get him on and go, like, hey, let's talk a little bit like more casually about what doping is like. Yeah, and, that would be good. That'd be so really actually just on 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 that because i had a couple of questions through from instagram one like because i listen you know as most people in the sport or peripheral sports like listen to that interview to find out do you do you think it was a worthwhile interview or that because no one believes oh, 
I, I don't. Okay, I don't believe what he said. And you've just said he's stolen money from people. Well, that's not the case if he actually started in November because he didn't race. Um, but everyone <laughs> thinks, you know, that's not what happened. So, like, was it? do you think it was worthwhile getting his answers across that? Yeah, what's your opinion? Yeah, 100%. 100%. And there's multiple reasons. I'll take you back to just a real fundamental of what I just talked about. For that 35 minutes you were listening, you know, were you entertained at least for part of that? Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think even I was that, engaged. Yeah. Even that is, is, is worthwhile because people forget this as, as podcasters or YouTubers or whatever you are, you are in the entertainment business. Like, don't don't try and get around the fact that you are in the entertainment business. You you are there to entertain people. Every time someone picks up their phone and, phone and goes on Instagram, they're looking to be entertained. Every time someone puts on a podcast, they're looking to be entertained. Every time someone watches a YouTube video, a movie, a TV show, they're looking to be entertained. So, like, even just on that fundamental level, it was worth it because you know it got listened to by over one hundred twenty thousand people on on like audio only uh, podcasts and the majority of those people would have been entertained for half an hour. That's a good thing. Now, on a more serious note, when it comes to like, was it worthwhile for the sport? Did it help um, clarity and that kind of thing? That, well, that's a little trickier. I think it's still better that, it, that it's talked about than it's not talked about because awareness matters in this field. So conversation starting is as important as, as details given. So by people listening to that podcast, professionals, people in the sport, people outside the sport, people start conversations. And then one professional might say to another professional, well, I heard this weird thing or this thing. And then they go and report it to the ITA or, you know, it just starts these little, it's like a little spark that, that might start a fire and, and create something bigger. And so it's really worthwhile in that point versus the traditional thing that's happened in triathlon where doping doesn't get talked about. We pretend we have a clean sport and it gets brushed under the rug. So, you know, and a sport that aligns with that, mountain biking man like when was there last a doping case in like world cup mountain biking cross country through to downhill last year oh okay <laughs> <laughs> well will has this uh this starry-eyed view on doping we did we did talk about it recently because we were talking about the ethiopians how there was the, the kenyan the Kenyans, you know oh, they yeah. got banned from world athletics hey hey can a crazy story here it's going to be better than anything you say this is the craziest story i've ever sat on so there's a famous New Zealand runner, and I'm not going to say who. I got a story four years ago from someone who went and trained in Kenya that went over to their house and they had multiple blood bags hanging from their clothesline in their backyard at Kenya. So they went out the back onto this little like area, were having a, a coffee, and the guy just looks over and he just sees these blood bags hanging from the guy's clothesline. And he's like, what's that? What's that? He goes, that's oh, just our blood. We just took it out before. And they were just hanging it from the clothesline before they put it into a refrigerator where they were going to store it. Mm -hmm. that, Why on the clothesline? Yeah, I don't even know if you'd store it in a refrigerator. I think you'd have to store it cooler than that. Yeah, so they store it in these like fridge freezer things. Um, so it's like these, uh, like sort of think of them as like bar fridge looking fridge freezer things. They're very cold. They're like, you can control the temperature in them like very specifically. That's where they get stored. Um, this is probably a little bit too heavy doping chat. Um, and they were, they, they were hanging them on the clothesline because that's where it got taken out. So they just sat on a little chair underneath it. Um, All right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, crazy story though. And like I knew this four years ago and I was just like, oh, I wish I could tell that story on a podcast. But yeah, well, now it's out. I have a mate that was on a big team back in the day and he walks into the room and uh, there's a guy on the table with all these people around him. He's like, what, what's he doing? He's like real curious because he has no idea. And they're like, oh, he's just taking his vitamins. And then they like pushed him out the door. Yeah. And that was before like anyone knew about doping. So this would have been like late 90s or something like that or early 2000s before like anyone even talked about doping before they could actually catch anything. Yeah. I, 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 have, I have similar stories to that as well. You know, like there's so many stories out there in the, in the brains of people and stories that people have like seen and shared, but they just don't see the light of day. And like, um, I, I would love a podcast one day where you could collate like all these untold doping stories and put them on like a, a two hour podcast. And it was just like five minutes at a time or 10 minutes of a time of someone telling their craziest doping story that hasn't seen the light of day in public. Like how good would that podcast be? It's just not going to happen because even the guy that you interviewed, he's not going to throw his mates under the bus. Like it's the same thing that happened with Lance Armstrong. Like his team teammates wouldn't throw him under the bus until years and years later. Like, if you get caught, you're not going to tell everyone what your friends are doing because that's just mean to your friends. Yeah. Like you're already alienated completely. Sure. It's a big problem. Like, the um, the omerta in, in all sports when it comes to doping is real. I Like, I know it's like a very famous, almost cliche term thrown around because of cycling, but it still exists in every sport. Soccer, tennis, you know. Rugby. Fighting. Rugby, all of them. People watch like tennis is the craziest one to me because tennis players, um, they live off clean reputations. So it's a sport where like to be the, the, the most liked player in the world, you have to be really clean. Like, and I'm not accusing the, the top guys of anything here, but if you look at the personalities of Roger Federer, um, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Novak's pushed it a little bit recently, but for the longest time ever, he was as clean as a, as a, whatever, something that's super clean, clean as a freshly washed car. Um, you know, they, they just have like these squeaky clean um, public personas. But that sport is rife with doping. Like it, I, I wish I could go into stories I've heard there by talking to like people involved with high-end doping doctors. But like it's as dirty as any sport in the world. And, and you know, a lot of the, the world's best guys are, as, are, are equally, if not far dirtier than the, the world's dirtiest cyclists and triathletes and that kind of thing. But people would never know about that. And they're never going to know. Do you know why? Like, because at the top, now I'll tell you a story, a very brief one. It's not about doping, but it's about is it as the good guy, as Jack's story. Yeah. The guy who um, ran the length of New Zealand and ended up not actually running the length of New Zealand. Okay. And I was involved. He like got in a car multiple times. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, was it, was that site Marathon Cheaters or, um, anyway, they did an investigation and everything. And so, so what happened was like, I was involved in the company that was sponsoring his, his length of New Zealand attempt. And I drove the car, um, for two days. Right. And I, nothing untoward happened while I was with him. Right. Um, so I dropped him off, you know, at the second end of the second day, I dropped him off and I dropped a pin and he went back, dropped him at the hotel, went home. And then I wasn't coming back the next day. And next day, this photo goes up like starting, here, right, in front of the sign. I'm like, I mean, that's 60Ks ahead of where we stopped last night. But no facts, you know, like I don't don't really know. And 
for whatever reason he wasn't even using a gps so it was like it was doomed from the start but anyway and uh so then i like tell the owner of the company I'm like look you know the and he's like oh someone else had kind of said something about that as well and then like and then so it goes and then they he, he goes through the south island and um and so and he just stays with one dude the whole south island right this dude never knew him beforehand and as it turns out um it comes the the guy who was with him all south island comes in to to the guy's house um the owner of the company and he's like bro he fucking got in the car like he's like all right well shit we need a front run the story like we need to bring him in let's have a chat he's like yeah you know like I'll do a story, okay? And uh, so he does a story. He's like, look, actually, because of traffic and um, safety issues, I skipped a couple bridges. I'm going to, like, renege on the fact that I got the record um, and because it's it's not honest, you know, right? And so then everyone's winning there. He's raising money for charity. Um, the company I'm involved with isn't getting a bad reputation. Okay, no, like, you know, I, should I go say something? Like, where do I say it? Who do I say it to? Whatever. Anyway, then it comes out. This dude who was with him in the car was like, then he goes, I'm going to release something. And on Facebook, he builds up this big hype and release that. They fucking drove like 70% of the South Island. Like, absolute shit show. Didn't he? Like, he just cheated the whole time. But what it did do was it opened my eyes to the fact that when you have, this is nothing. This is like, old man trying to run the length of New Zealand with some small company, giving him some support. When you think about winning a gold medal, Nike, Coca-Cola, McDonald's, TV rights, no one's no one's saying a thing. No one is saying a thing. And like, someone, like if we were a big company, you'd be like, look, mate, we can sort you out for a, like a, an, an administration role. You know, if you don't need to say this, here's an NDA, done. That's why. That's why no one's saying anything. In I think, my opinion. I think the incentive to dope is huge. Like it's astronomical, and the, the the incentive to cheat in general is like it's crazy high versus the risk of getting caught. Like I just think about it. I think about you saying that, and I think of like we have a young Australian kid who just ran across Australia. Could cheat so easy, and like it's so easy to fake. You just need, you just do it with a real tight crew, and you fake the early part of it. You know, you hop in your car and you you drive along at six minute k's. No one would ever, ever, ever know, and you can just claim it. The same with doping. Like it's so easy to hide. It's like it's really hard to get caught doping, which people might find crazy. It's extreme. If you have any idea, if you spent a week. If you spend a week researching how to do it, you can probably get away with it. That's how easy it is. Um, you know, and, and extrapolate that. You go get a, a doctor who knows what they're talking about. You're never going to get caught. You have to do something wrong. Like you have to do something wrong and get lazy to get caught. Um, and the incentives are so high. Like you talk about. Like where's the downside? Money. I, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think like I think it's rife. And we when we talked about this. Uh, will seem to think that most people weren't. And I was like, I don't know, man. I think, I think they probably are. They're well, probably this is, so. This is actually the the crux of the topic. Of the the initial like the show was like, is it happening at the top, or are they just so physiologically gifted, and they've found themselves with a good coach and a good support network that they're going to win anyway? Like, well, the answer is yes and yes. 
isn't it? Because it's like, yes, you're doping, but yes, you need those things too. Because you're not, because the competition is all encompassing. What do you think, Jake? Do you think the top, because like, you know, within triathlon, this thing came out and it's, it's a pretty engaged sport with the top end. Um, and it just appears like, it appears like everyone's like, whoa, what the fuck? How's this happening? Not now sport amongst the top guys who have like, um, the girls haven't spoken as much about it because, you know, it didn't happen in their ranks, I guess. But it's like, so are we to believe that everyone who's posted on social media and come on your podcast and been like, I had no idea. Like, I knew this guy. I, I trained with him. I sat with him. Oh, how, yeah. What are we believing? Um, what yeah. do we believe? Are we saying, sitting here being like, it's right. And then also believing everyone who's like, this is, it's not, I can do it and I'm at the top. I think there's mixed elements. I, I strongly believe there's clean people who have done very well in the sport. So I, I strongly believe, for example, two, two people I love, um, I'm not, these aren't the only clean people, but they're good examples. Joe Skipper and Lionel Sanders are clean. They don't dope. They haven't doped. They don't dope. Lionel's come second at the Ironman World Championships twice. Joe Skipper came fifth there last year. Um, I use them exa as examples because they're two of my favorite athletes, but they're definitely clean. I would, um, I would bet Will's life on it. Maybe not Matt's, but I'd definitely bet Will's life on it. Um, no, they're, they're, I just think they're clean. So you can get, can you win a world title? Yeah, I reckon heaps of world titles have been won clean. Have they also been won dirty? Yeah, for sure. They've been won dirty. Olympic gold medals in, in triathlon have been won dirty. They've, they've probably been won clean as well. Um, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you can do it, but it depends what year and who you come up against and, and that kind of thing. Um, it, you know, like you'd be naive to think that that the number of clean world titles won is like a lot higher than than doped world titles or cheated world titles. The the difference, I'd be really curious to know, but I think you would be naive at best to think that that you know it's like nine out of every ten are clean. It's it's probably not that high a number. So then, I guess, why do we care? You know, so like this dude who's just um, ripped the London Marathon with like some of the fastest splits ever seen in a marathon, huh. getting getting close to, you know, he's going he's going 1340-something for a 5K. He's doing a 59-second half. I want to see that. I want to see faster, bigger, stronger, no yeah. doubt. Like you're talking about entertainment and uh, – and then by not talking about it, right, by by having this Colin, this big EPO case, you know, a dude who's like not, I've been saying this as, you know, he's not from some far-fetched middle, like, you know, whatever continents and that has been typically associated with doping. No one really knew the guy or girl and it's like, and they were like finished fifth and they won some second tier race where there probably wasn't any testing. It's like, this is in your face. It's like by not talking about it, we can go back to just enjoying the sport and thinking everyone's clean and just like, can we not talk about it? Because we know it's happening. Can we just not and and let it let it happen? No, nah, this is super real. They're like, I battle with this myself where the only people who I understand caring deeply are the people that are, that are racing. Like it's your livelihood. You're trying to do it as well. Like if I put myself in that perspective, I, I would care. Like it would just suck training and, and racing against people who are cheating like for sure but as a fan oh it's gray mate it's gray because i watch a lot of sports where people cheat and i don't even think about it and don't care 
I don't, I don't care. Like, you know, I, I, I wouldn't give. I well, Formula One, right? They're for sure cheating. They're going over budget. They're like I, I was putting things. Yeah, I love watching Red uh, Red Bull do their thing in F one. I love it. They're cheats. They're they're absolute just bold faced liars. Cheats. They're doing everything they shouldn't do to win. And I love it. I I love it. I I love it. Actually, makes me like the sport more, and it makes me like Red Bull more. And it's just. Do you think if the Norwegians lent into everyone thinking that they're they're sketchy as fuck now, like then people be like, oh, maybe they, oh, they're bloody flexing on it. People love it. This is what I mean. And I'm not like. It sounds like if if, okay, if you think about it morally and ethically, I hate it. I hate it. I, I think it's fit. I, I wish it wasn't there. If I really sit down and have some alone time and think about, well, where do I sit morally on this this issue? Like, as a person, where do I sit on it? I can get myself to a point where I get pretty angry and go, no, like, fuck those, fuck those people. Like, this is fucking bullshit. Like, it, it's wrong. But if I don't think that deeply about it, like, I don't in F one because I'm, I just, I dis- associate. Just con- you're a consumer of F one. It's basically reality TV to me. Like it may as well be fiction because I'm never going to meet these people. Like they may as well not be real people. Do you know what I mean? Like the same way I'm entertained by um, Breaking Bad, you know, and thinking about like drugs in that. Like, I'm not associating that with like, well, drugs are a real problem that fuck people's lives up. I just love Heisenberg. I love him. I love it when he fucks people's lives up because to me it's not real. But then if you were to watch your family go through that, like if you were to watch your sister or your brother uh, be ad- addicted to methamphetamine, you might suddenly look at that show and be like, hmm, you know, this is actually a little bit dark and I don't like this. But if you don't if you don't let yourself go to those like deeper thought processes on it and just look at it from a surf- surface level as someone looking to be entertained, yeah, like I said, I love that Max Verstappen is probably, you know, a dirty F1 driver in the sense that he's driving a car that is like incredibly unfair compared to some other cars. And, you know, maybe like I look at Colin Chartier and I go, oh, well, like, entertaining race at the PTO US Open last year following this whole saga has been really entertaining or if I look at like you know the top runners in the world Lude Kipchoge and that kind of thing and everything he did with breaking two hours for the marathon like how many hours do people spend entertained by that you know if you let I understand not giving a fuck that that's not a clean thing that that's doping or the London Marathon or you know Lance Armstrong in cycling or look you know what we're seeing in cycling at the moment which is by the way a lot crazier than anything we've ever seen before and people don't really seem to be talking about that as much or caring people just love watching Tade Pogacar be the the biggest alien the world's ever seen in world sport like fucking crazy I love it I stay up on so cycling races in Australia at like 4am in the morning I, I slay my bed with my laptop on um, and just watch them all every Sunday night because I just fucking love watching Tade Pogacar do alien shit because like, I'm not involved in the sport and I can't relate it relate to it personally. So I don't care that it's dirty. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, this is real. Like being entertained by the results of doping can be fun and can can get it to the point where you, you go, oh, well, whatever, I don't care. You need to... You need heroes, but also to be a governing body, you need to do the political thing and once in a while ping someone, right? So you you select someone that maybe did something a little funny. Maybe they looked at you weird at that cheap-ass gala dinner that you went to because they're they're not super well-funded sports. And you're like, you know what? That guy's got to go down. Like, people like him. Not everyone likes him. He's not like Lance Armstrong. You know, Lance Armstrong, you have him for winning seven times in a row. All the good that guy did, all the good that guy did, it doesn't matter if he was doping. It doesn't matter because he brought so much 
so many eyes to the sport and so much money to the sponsors. Sold so many bikes and sold so many millions of those little tiny yellow Livestrong bands. I, I must add like 10 of them. I've considered starting to wear a Livestrong band again. <laughs> where, where do you get them? Yeah, they're on eBay. I looked into the other day with Colin. I was going to, I, I thought this would be really funny if I went and buy, bought a Livestrong thing, uh, a Livestrong band. And just, I, I was trying to think of like, what's a funny post I could post about it to sort of like tie in with the doping thing at the moment. Like, do I Photoshop like, you know, Colin Chartier on the Livestrong band or something like that? Uh, yeah, I think Livestrong bands need to come back. Dude, I bet on AliExpress it's, I can get that we can get like a bag of a hundred of them for like a dollar. Could you? It's interesting you say that, Matt, because that pretty much describes Colin, right? Like he's oh. not, he's not Jan Fredino. He's like won some stuff recently, but he's not. He's liked because he was on um, Lionel Sanders' YouTube series leading into Kona, and like it's like he's he's attached to the top because he's part of I guess some peripherally attached to the Norwegian team and it's like they took him down yeah it's like hey see you bro like you know we we need to ping somebody lucky lucky dip like sorry man but um I did just do an AliExpress search and unfortunately like there are a few bands on there we could maybe bring Livestrong back we'd have to do a custom order but asthma bands I see they come in multiple different colors so $2.90 for each shipped not bad. Yeah, I'm just Googling Livestrong bands now. Honestly, we, we really have got to get some. Can you boys actually buy them? And yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah, AliExpress, there's heaps. There's heaps on cats.com. There's heaps on eBay. Yeah, I would love one that comes in the original Livestrong packet, like a new one. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah, at the time stuff. when those were hot, I bought one, probably fake, on uh, Trade Me. You know, that's... We're, we're pretty far away from the world here in New Zealand. So, like, we don't use eBay or Amazon. Like, we've trade me. But anyway, I bought one. It was like $20. That's that's such a ripoff. I remember, you know, because you had to buy them for $1 as the, as the retailer. So, our bike shop would buy them for a dollar. And then if you sell it, you have to pay tax on it. So, you, you sell goods. So, uh, the state tax was 6%. So, we would sell them for a dollar and six cents. And this one lady, she got so mad that we sold it, like that we actually charged more than $1. She was so angry. She's like, think about the little kids. Like there are actually people dying from cancer and you're trying to make money? Like, all right, well, I guess we'll just take it for a dollar then. Like we'll lose money. Yeah, that's just the Karen. We've got a name yep. for that. Yeah. You guys, speaking of bands, this is going way off topic. Were the power energy like balance bands? They're thing? bullshit. Oh, I made so much money importing those. Uh, I mean, statute of limitations must be ended by now. But like, so this was before people ordered from China. You know, this is like 12. This is more. This is probably like 15 years ago. Those balance bands came out. You know, the tortoise shell stuff in them. So I got like 100 of them and they were selling for like, Six, I was about ninety dollars in the shop. Yeah, and I was selling them for sixty dollars, and I was buying them for like eight dollars or something. Bro, it's like everyone there got ripped off. Like you got ripped off. Everyone else got ripped off, and then there were people actually paying retail as well. No, I love them because I think they weren't about. I, I like. I think people look at that wrong when they think like, oh, they were bullshit. They were never about 
like why does anyone care about their balance? Like think about it. If someone come up to you right now and said like, hey, you pay 80 bucks, you can bet. Or you'd be like, I don't give a fuck. Like my balance is fine. I don't really fall over. Like maybe your grandma, you might go, oh, grandma could actually use that. Like so she doesn't fall over and die. But you yourself as like an able-bodied person, you're like, where, where do you ever go? I just wish I had like elite balance. So fucking hell, I walk, I don't fall over. It's pretty, it's pretty simple. But what they became was like, was like what the Livestrong band became. They were like, you had to have one. It wasn't because of what they did. It was because everyone had one, which you can look at like they're a fashion accessory. It's like you know, wearing socks. Like how could you not wear socks, dude? Well, like everyone wears socks. Because if you don't wear socks in your shoes, your feet fucking stink and you become a <laughs> society. Like have you ever, have you ever like um, been next to someone who walks around in like a pair of um, traditional shoes without socks and they take them off? The I don't associate with those people. <laughs> like... I have this mate who I lived with for a little bit and he was like, he's, he was a dirty bloke in general. Like, you know, always had a messy room. You'd work, walk into his bedroom. You're like, mate, you've got chips on like your bed, not on your doona, on your sheet. You know, like, fair enough. Like on your doona, I'll sort of top that. It's still gross, but on your sheet, you can't have chips on your sheet. Um, so anyway, he was one of those people and his fucking shoes just stunk because he, um, he didn't wear socks with them. And like, it was like, Oh, it was the worst smell I've ever smelled. Um, so I actually don't know how all I could think about is that smell and I forgot what we we're talking about. But yeah, balance bands, they were sort of just like, you know, Yeezys or whatever the thing is that everyone has to have at the time. No uh, one is, no one's like my dad w- might, would have had a live strong band and maybe a balance band, but he's not going to rip Yeezys. No, he's probably not cool enough. Like, yeah, but he will rock those white new balances, which by the way, I've been looking at those and pretty keen, like, you know, pair. the dad shoes. Oh, the best. The best. Yeah. Um, but not how, ironically. So. How many people in the history of humankind have rocked a balance band and a Livestrong band at the same time? Oh, so you want to bring... And like a hemp necklace with puka shells on it? N- no, I don't like those people. But <laughs> Monster I'm, energy hat? What, <laughs> this podcast, do the three of us buy a balance band and a Livestrong band each and we like post a picture of like us on Instagram all wearing them? Yeah, it'd be epic. That'd be an epic promotion, and we'd make some money on the the balance bands at sixty bucks pop. Eh? Bring them back. I, I wish I knew what I, I wish I was my age now when they were in. I would have done what Will did. Like oh, that's genius that you did that, by the way. But, oh, but so like because I bought the just um, w- they weren't real. I mean that nothing was real, but like that um they kept falling apart. So, so I had to keep um I had to keep replacing them. And then I, and then my my mate who did the same thing actually got a cease and desist cease and desist letter from Balance Band New Zealand or Australasia, and like he had to pay them like a hundred bucks or something. And I was like, I mate, I've got so much letter. cash because I was like selling because they didn't got word of mouth, right? I had so much cash. People would come around my house. It's like drug dealing. And then um, then I just gave them the cash. I was like, here, pay them with this. <laughs> And uh, and then I and then I was like, oh, I've got to stop because then everyone is getting on it, and then the price was just plummeting to like ten dollars a band, and wasn't becoming that profitable. But. It sounds like you're talking about Dogecoin and not balance bands. No, it was a pump and dump scheme for sure. Oh, and for sure, everyone would come around to my house and they were getting on it. Like, yeah, you, okay, it's, we're talking about a little band you wear about your wrist, not heroin. I had to, I had to stop. Everyone was getting on it. Every, everyone, everyone was. <laughs> Whatever it just became non-profitable. That's that's the fact. Do you think that this is going to be doping? Then, like, when everyone knows, 
Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think some professionals right now have done one of two things. They've gone, fuck dopers. I'll never do that. Or they've gone, interesting. Who do I, who do I ask? Interesting. Why is everyone saying it's so easy? Maybe this is, oh, did I get beaten by, hmm, let me look into this. Both of those things have happened. And do you just, know, I've thought it as a, like, sports scientist and coach, and like, have I been, have I been looking at the wrong way? Like, have yeah, I, you, do I need to, like, I wanna, like, when you're advising, like, a junior, Matt, you know, you know, we know people who are like, well, if you want to get on it, if you, like, this is the difference between, like, this is your job. And this is maybe what it's going to take. Like, morally, I'm never going to do that. It's not financially worth it for me. Like, it's going to it would ruin my career and my name and everything. And just have a look at what happened to Zane Robinson. Like, whole his whole post-career working in New Zealand or anything is over. But I can see, you know, if I'm having the thought. Okay. This is what we need to do. I want to postulate this to you. Let me know what you think. It's, it's like chocolate. So, love chocolate. But I don't have it every day. I know that if I put the chocolate away, I only have it on the weekend. I'll binge it on the weekend because I can't not have chocolate. So when you're dealing with, when you're growing up and you're going through school, back in the day, they used to preach abstinence to you. And that did nothing. That did nothing. So what they started to do instead was to teach safe sex. Like, all right, we know it's going to happen. No worries. Do this so you don't end up having trouble right so i think we need to do i'm being serious because the the problem with doping so we need to do this with doping this is what i'm getting at so like the problem with uh let's say blood doping is you end up with too too many red blood cells in your plasma and your blood gets really thick so if you get dehydrated your plasma volume goes down and you have a really high likelihood of getting a blood clot and that's a big problem because you can die from a blood clot so what we need to do is we need to be like, look, are, if you're blood doping, if you're taking heroin, if you're injecting, if you're sharing needles, we're going to give you needles so you don't have to share needles. We want to avoid the actual problems. We know you're going to do it anyway. Here's how you dope. Go to this YouTube video. It's dopingforever.com. Actually going to buy this domain after this episode. And you're like, step by step, this is how you do blood doping. Step by step, this is how you take EPO. Step by step, this is how you train like the Norwegians uh, step by step. This is how you, uh, you know, uh, take caffeine. I think, I think it's necessary. I think we'd, 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 you know, what would be interesting if we actually did that, we put it together, us three, we can put it together. What would be the click throughs, the uptake, the sales, you know, that would be indicative. I'm sort of finding it hard to concentrate on this because like Matt, I, I I eat chocolate every day. I've never put chocolate away for the weekend like that. And I've never had safe sex. So hard for me to, I just, I don't really resonate with you there. Dude, well, I, you're the kind of guy that needs to avoid blood doping then because you're going to end up with a blood clot, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, or you're going to improperly, you'll be like, it's fine. I'll leave it on the line because I've actually got to go meet the boys. Like I've got a long ride. So I'll put it in the fridge when I get back. hundred percent. That's me. 100% that's me. I, I Yeah, I, I would forget about my blood bag out in the 30 degree sun. I go, oh, well, right anyway. No. Like, I don't want to do it again. Like, I'm not taking more out. It'd probably wreck me. I just can't believe Matt puts away chocolate in his house and is able to leave it Monday to Friday f- to Saturday. Like, the fuck? I'd be there at 2 a.m. on the. Like, <laughs> say if I put it away at 3 p.m. on a Monday, like, oh, I won't touch this for the weekend. 
2 a.m. I wake up, I'd be off in the pantry, being like, well, that's all right, and I have a little bite. Like, Matt, are you a like, are you a psychopath? What, what's up? Do we I, need to I, I have to have my partner hide it. Like, all right, you know, I'm only going to have chocolate on Friday. Don't get it until Friday. I'm going to, I'm going to smash that chocolate so hard Friday to Sunday night. I, Absolutely. Like, it, like, my partner could Is it hide. euphemism or are we like, it's chocolate? It, both. I would sniff that shit out. It could be hidden anywhere in my house, and I'd be like a little dog, like, like I would sniff the shit out of that chocolate. Like I would just, it wouldn't eat, like, yeah. It, uh, there's no way. And I guess like some people are like that with EPO, like you know, no matter how hard EPO is to get, they sniff that shit out. You know. Yeah, maybe we should like give a hotline. Like, where where can you buy EPO? You know, some people don't have their their finely tuned EPO dar. You know, so they they can't sniff it out. So we should let them know also where they can get it. I think your um, point you make is like interesting, though, and I completely disagree. I, I I understand where your where your head's at with it, but you can't make doping more accessible. That like the, the, it's such a hard not more accessible, safer, safer nah. is the main thing. Well, safer makes up something more accessible, right? So like as a kid, if you're 16 and you get introduced to the idea of sex and how to have sex safely, it makes sex more likely to happen. Um, there you is you just made that up. That's definitely not a fact. Definitely, it definitely is true, right? So you, you, because what it does is it starts conversations. There'll be sixteen-year-old boys listening to this, being like, "Not true. It is not easier. <laughs> yeah, okay, still well, a struggle." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, if you struggle to, yeah, I was going to say fuck. If you struggle to fuck, that you're always going to struggle to fuck. But like, it, it's like if you're fourteen. No, if you're if you're twelve, right? And like most guys can relate to this. If you're twelve and your friend friend brings a porn magazine to your house, right, and you go, oh. You're so much more likely that to then yourself seek out porn, whereas if that friend hadn't have bought around the next day, the next day you wouldn't have tried to seek porn out. Like I know that from my own experience. I remember George Howard very, very clearly showing me my first ever porn when I was like in grade five. He found it on his way to school um, on the side of a road next to a bin. He showed all of us, and I was like, interesting. And then after that, me and the the group of boys, we would go down to the milk bars and look at pornos. Yeah, all but. The- this the, the okay looking at pornos then doesn't it's not a gateway to bestiality right so there there's a fine line where like being introduced to it is like oh yeah i'm i'm in right i i i get it but it doesn't then lead you to like these derelict things just like um oh i had a really good one and i just lost it but um just like um smoking cigarettes doesn't lead to heroin right but teaching someone how to that they shouldn't share needles, you know, that's, that's a really good start to like keep everyone a little bit cleaner and keep them a little bit safer. Like, and just because we teach you, um, how to dope more cleanly and how to do performance enhancing more cleanly doesn't mean you're going to automatically go for like the most insane thing because water is performance enhancing. Like, look, there's all these guidelines for drinking water. Beta alanine is performance enhancing. If you're doing repeat sprints, you take this much beta alanine and it helps you in doing this. We tell you how to do it, where to get it, how to take it. And that doesn't mean all those people doing beta alanine are now trying to sniff out that EPO either. No, so there's is, a line somewhere. The is, research needs to be done for sure. Cause like, I think, I don't think it's like, it's, it's like anything where, it's probably not going to be very effective, some protocols for some people, but they're all going to be doing the, the blanket thing that the Google incognito win, window brings up. If Colin Chartier went on YouTube today 
and he posted a how to take EPO video. You're fucking batshit crazy if you think that doesn't increase EPO use. You're crazy. He goes this. He 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 puts out a guide, the complete guide to doping by Colin Chartier. How to do it? How to do it safely? No, nah, I don't. I I honest. Oh, crazy if you don't. I don't. I really like. I'm. You're you're you you didn't take EPO, right? I I haven't taken any drugs. I can't speak for Matt. Don't know him well enough. Um, but I just never. He can present that all the way, like to being like here it is, and be like, you know what? It's just not worth it. It's yeah, just you, it's just not. I'm just not. And you, I think there's kind of. Maybe there's two sides to it where people who are going to do it were always going to do it. Okay, so, Will, you might not, but if, if Matt's sitting next to you right now, if Matt pulls out a, a crack pipe and starts smoking crack, does that are you going to start smoking crack, Will? No. No, of course you're not, but some people are. So you can't put yourself – you can't only think about yourself in situations like this. You can't go, Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, no. Will O'Connor, I'm a smart, educated guy who understands the, the downward spiral. This leads to the negative I- impact this could have on me and my reputation. Not everyone thinks like that, Will. No, and it would be a way, way different. I've had this thought experiment of like me as a 23-year-old almost making it and I'm in Europe, you know. Yeah, and Colin Chartier just won $100,000 from the PTO US Open and puts out a guide of how to dope, how to do it safely, where do you need everything? No, I don't even mean that. I mean like just the the rumor mill going and then like a, yeah, but- a more solid rumor of like you should see Dr. Matt Miller. But then just, next yeah. step where it's not just that little rumor and there's a YouTube video that goes up, Dr. Matt Miller's the guy to go see. If you want to do it like absolutely as safely as possible, if you want to do it by yourself, here's how you do it. Here's what you need to buy. Here, here's how to do it so, safely. Yeah. yeah. Matt, no, I, would. I guarantee you if you put that YouTube video out, there'd be a hundred new people who had never doped before who suddenly dope. I, I, would, I would stake everything I have in my life on it. That's true. You know what's funny though? Um, we do talk about the reason doping's said to be illegal is because of the potential dangers it poses. Have we ever seen any like negative outcomes from doping in sport? I, I think we have. I just don't think it's, we really know about it. I think mm-hmm. there has definitely been um, like there, like there is a lot of uh, pretty well documented cycling things where there's been like heart attacks. Uh, yeah. Their late twenties. Yeah, early. I mean, look, um, yeah, and triathlon and in endurance, you know, there's a lot of heart issues. Yeah, a lot, yeah. lot of arrhythmias. Um, yeah, and like the, there's that really famous guy who has that corner uh, on Mount Ventoux Two who died on it, and that's pretty well regarded as, as that he had a heart attack based on the the um, drugs he was taking on the climb. As so far. I thought that was amphetamine use, yeah. and that yeah. he overcame like. He actually died from heat exhaustion because he was not cognitively connected enough for whatever to to unconsciously shut himself down. I'm Simpson. Yeah, and we look at amphetamines now as a recreational drug, but when that happened, um, it was uh, it was a performance enhancing drug. It was you know? over the counter diet pill, wasn't it? Yeah, which is like a really documented story. But, you know, there's the Biano Reese story about like the pig heart story, um, which is like a famous story as well of him him having like a, a like a heart explosion, just a heart attack, but they, they like made it more dramatic um, and his heart getting replaced with, with part of a pig heart. It's a really famous um, cycling story due to doping as well. So, Matt, uh, if that's the case, why do people need to know how to dope, dope safely? 
yeah, I don't know. Let just give give him free reign and let him do it poorly. I don't know. I'd like maybe there should be like some heart association guidelines. Like, well, just be careful. Yeah, that's a really, really like delicate ethical issue. It's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I do. I think the more broader question is like, do we want doping in a sport or out of a sport? And like, a decision on that needs to be made at some point. Like, okay, but who gets to make that call? It's like the shoes, right? It's like initially it was the 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 Vaporfly next percent was just so much better than every other shoe, and the fact that the in the 2012 or 2016 it must have been olympics some of the nike athletes wore the new prototype shoe and then and then so then all the other sponsored brands were any athlete was like at a disadvantage and then then they actually had to say well let's just put 40 mils limit on it because when you allow doping you're like well i can't afford a really good doctor yeah, so 2016 at Rio, particularly through the marathon, like that was the main place it was where yeah. the Nike athletes had had access to a really like um, early version of the um, Nike um, 4%. Um, so, yeah, interesting, ex- interesting like example because I think it is relevant. I, like I don't think as a collective sport has made the decision to be like we are getting rid of doping. And I, I think know- opening up doping is unsafe, right, because then you start to – like when you're trying to avoid testing, you're not just like going all in. Ah, look, I don't know actually. Like maybe you are. So tricky, isn't it? Right, because to allow doping is, I think, stupid. I like the. I think people who go like, well, let's just let everyone do everything. I think they don't understand the arms race that would start and how dangerous that could get. Because the thing I don't know. Look at bodybuilding or like the world's world's strongest man. Love that sport. Just been on over the previous weekend. That's. That's your arms race, right? I, I think we'd hate to see average life expectancy of those guys. Like, I think if we really studied that, I, I don't think that would be good good viewing. You know what's really cool is they're doing a longitudinal study every year at um, World's Strongest Man. They're doing a whole bunch of anthropometric and physiological biochemical measurements on those guys. So when they publish that in like a decade, that would be super interesting. Do you, would you theorize, if you, were, if you were to like hypothesize with me here, that if we allowed that, um, do you think the long-term health of athletes would suffer? Oh, massively. Like, think about the decisions you made as, like, a 19, 20-year-old. How many of them were were really bad and did not ever consider your 35, 30, 40-year-old self? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a problem. But I also think, like, I don't think there's a single sport out there that's gone, well, fuck this. We're getting rid of doping. I think there's, like, a lot of we're going to try to get rid of it a little bit, but we're not going to go like deep. Like we're not going to invest every single thing we have into getting rid of it. And so I think we're until we go either way where a sport, so let's use triathlon as an example, triathlon makes the decision to go, we're getting rid of it or we're not getting rid of it. We're always going to live in this gray area where some people don't, some people don't. It's a little bit hard to get away with, but it's not hard enough that you can't do it. Um, And I actually hate that. I hate that, you know, like, because I hate this like confusion. I hate not knowing. I think we all hate that. It's maybe a love hate because it really is entertaining to think about who is and who isn't and what they're doing. And it's maybe just one more part of being the best. 
is you got the training, you got the psychological, you got the equipment, and you got this other thing that we don't really know it's happening, if it's happening, how much, but it's a part of it. And we're speculating on that just like we're speculating on everything else. Yeah. Which I guess comes back to my point that like how much of everything is just entertainment? Like how much of sport should we care about the professionals trying to make a living versus the, the people being entertained by it? And like, yeah, because psychologically it's, it's a tough one. You know, the, the comments on, look, so we've, um, in triathlon, Matt, massive, massive race coming up this weekend. So immediately now, anyone who's pulled out this week, doping. Anyone who wins, doping. Oh, this is, Will, I cannot wait for this because this is such an interesting case study. Obviously, I've been at like the forefront of the people pulling out, the doping story started, and I've thought the same thing. What is going to happen to the people who win? I, I think uh, they can't just not, because the guy who won the last race has been done for EPO and everyone thought he was a stand-up bloke. Exactly. I, I've almost, I've considered posting about this on my Instagram being like, Hey, real talk for a second. Whoever wins this race, will you think that they're doping? I actually am going to do that. I'm going to go and do it now because I'd already thought about it. And you saying that makes me realize, yeah, people are interested about this. I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to go as far to say is like, do you want to win this race or do you want to come third? Like I genuinely believe if I was doping and I was at that race, I'd want to come third. I, I seriously do still get enough money that's worthwhile, but not Still enough like, points, like for the overall series. Yeah, it's like yeah. I got fourth. Yeah, but so just imagine just like everyone's running along, like looking at each other, like yes. Can yeah. you just win? Can you win? I'm not fucking winning. Would you not want to do that? The only reason you wouldn't want to do that is if you're a sociopath or you're clean. If you're dirty and you know it, it's just such a. Do you know who would do it? Do you know who would do it? The two dudes who would do it. Tell me. The Norwegian dudes. You know, yeah. like if everything we know about their program, they would just go and flex hard on everyone. There you go. Come test us. Whatever. Like we're clean. Go yeah. for it. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Well, that's why like I have Christian Blumenfeld, who's like the, he's the, I hate to say this, the better of the two. He Gustav would beat Christian at this race if Gustav was there, but Christian has probably overall had uh, more results. Um, but Christian is He's going to win this race, I think. I, I struggle to see anyone else beating him, and I think he's going to do it in really impressive fashion. Like that would be my prediction, and I don't think he's going to give a fuck about what I'm just saying. Like people thinking he's dirty, I just think he's going to go and beat everyone, and and you know do what he always does, and just. Do you have someone who's going to be in transition at one a.m. and actually actually make shit up? Yeah, that there's a drama. Yeah, he does not give a shit what you think. Mate, they're ruthless, the Norwegians. They're fucking ruthless. Yeah, they don't give a fuck about what anyone thinks. They just want to win. Like, and they just have fun. What, like, so I listened to the, um, you've got the PDO series and you, the guys just came on. Matt, he, Jack, like, interviews some of the athletes building up for the race. And one of them was Colin, a part of this quartet. Anyway, they're like talking about, oh, it really broke me for a few days and then I'm back into it. And then in the race, if I think that guy's doping, like, do I even try to beat him or like, you got to be ruthless. And they're also thinking exactly, they haven't said it, but they're thinking what you're thinking, right? Like, I can't win this race. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Behind closed doors, they're saying that. So uh, I talked in the episode about like um, breaking down the third wall between, you know, audience and and, um, and entertainer. 
I like doing that. That's a really interesting yeah, thing. I think it's behind people the scenes. always say this, but then there's still the fourth door, right? Like maybe when we get off this podcast and you start telling us stuff and it's like, or we tell you something, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, this is a real thing. Like for people who don't know, like the third wall, or the fourth wall, they're like um, they're, um, performative art terms. So they, they like refer to like, um, the the connection between audience and cast members of like play shows, like uh, stage shows, and breaking down the third wall is like giving them inside access. Whereas breaking down the fourth wall is letting them in on everything. So it's not goes. Okay, by- I don't actually know that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's you should look into it. It's interesting. Um, uh, I'm not an expert on it. I probably stuffed that up a little bit, but that's my understanding of it. And so. Breaking down that third wall is like interesting because behind the scenes, Aaron and Tom and Fred, they've all had conversations with me and we've all had conversations together, both in message group and off air on the podcast about like, we can't fucking win. We don't think we're, we're racing against like a completely clean field, like fuck. And they all had like patches throughout the week where they didn't really train and they were really like down on it. You know, like I think, and we've talked about off air, like when you're racing next to someone, are you going to be suspicious? And the answer is yes, they all are. I think that's going to be such an interesting part of this race. And I can't wait to get the boys on after the race and ask them these questions on air. Hey, do you think you got beaten by a doper? Were you ever at the race, like running next to someone and thinking like, fuck this bloke. I know that he's clean. I know that he's dirty and I know I'm clean. I'm hurt. I Like, therefore, psychologically, I know that I can't beat him. I'm hurting so much more than him. He can, he can take off here whenever he wants. It'd almost be worthwhile starting the rumor about yourself. <laughs> like, fuck have no, you seen? Have you seen his working? Do you see? Did you know he went back to Australia for three months? He was apparently injured, but I saw him doing fifty-hour training weeks, like legit. And he was like, he was like deadlifting more than like a car. Yeah, no, that's not just funny. That's that's real. Like I'm with you. Like you can hear that and go, oh yeah, it's funny. I think if people think you're doping, you have a psychological edge, one hundred percent, because well, yeah. It makes- so much less likely to surge on you. It makes them so so much less likely to go to the front and hammer. You know, if people say Christian, for example, if people believe that about him, they're going to make it. It's just going to be so much more unlikely that if he's sitting third wheel on the bike, that they're going to try and explode away from him. Especially if he like covers a few gaps, they'll be like, "Oh, he's too good." And that's yeah, not- he's only ever going to be too good. Like he's yeah. already bloody spending ten thousand dollars on lactate strips, and has like this mastermind dude who's like plugged him into a computer and and now now i've got this other thing that i'm like he's got he's got you he's got yeah. you and he's like yelling at you in transition exactly Game over. not Game to over. say he's doing it it's just to say that there's value in someone thinking he's doing it he's a he's like a conspiracy theory imagine if they purposely made the phone call yeah like you know i think you would for sure why wouldn't you consider it so there's that story about Lance Armstrong making the phone call, right? Yeah. Are you telling me that or is that someone else, Matt? I have never heard of this. Tell this story. This is a good, I know what story you're talking about. It's a good story. Tell it. Um, well, I don't really know it that well. You sound like you know it pretty well. Uh, well, that's why I was sort of leaning on you because I only... <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's a story from like 20 years ago that we both don't Go know on. anything about. Yeah. This is, is this a Tyler Hamilton beating him up, Von 2? Yeah, so Tyler Hamilton beat Lance Armstrong up. He just left the team, I think, and like beat him up Von Two on time trial. Oh. And then, so... Um, wait, wait, Von Two or was it Alp Duez? Oh, it would have been Alp Duez. Yeah, I think it was Alp Duez. Um, made the call like Pat McQuaid and Bjorn Reese. It was like, let's get rid of him. Oh, Lance did. Yeah, Lance did too. 
who was telling me that? No, I can't remember. It's, it's, to it's a few people yesterday, but story that's in the secret race, and then I've watched like a YouTube video about it. Um, the secret race being Tyler Hamilton's book. I'm pretty yeah. sure mm. the story comes from. Um, and yeah, it's like, see, what's interesting about that is I um, I probably I won't say his name, but um, no, 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 say it, say it, say it, say it. Say it. Okay, it was it was Steve Matt, our our supervisor. So he he went and raced in Belgium and stuff, and he said I didn't want to become a Belgium pincushion, so he he just he just left the sport. Um, he's a professor of sports science, but anyway, he he got Tyler Hamilton's book and he read it front to back on like the first when it came out, and he was just in awe, like he couldn't believe the extent. And I think that's happening in triathlon now, right? Or other sports where there'll be people just completely oblivious to the extent of like they've seen some stuff and whatever, but like like to that book of like like is gone burgers like everywhere we don't extent of it in triathlon yet that story's still to come this what this is do you remember the festina affair at cycling this if you think about the norwegians and just going back to the lance armstrong thing it's like lance armstrong he knew and he just flexed harder hard as possible mm-hmm. calling out journalistic integrity like just absolutely barring blackballing people like just for people to court sued them for saying it yeah, yeah when it's true yeah, when Imagine that. Wild, man. And so that's what I think the Colin Sharpier thing is, the Festina affair. So I think it was the 1998 tour, was it? Um, the the Festina pro cycling team got their hotel raided by French police and like, you know, found heaps of doping equipment and that kind of thing. And then the 1999 tour to France, which Armstrong, Armstrong went on to one, they called like the tour of renewal um, of like, hey, we've busted it. Now the sport's cleaning up. And then we all know what went on to happen. It got dirtier than ever. And so I think that's what's happened with Colin. I think Colin's Festina. Do you know what I mean? And now we're going to go, okay, let's, let's, the sport's now going to clean itself up. And I think the opposite is about to happen. Maybe that it's rife time for that YouTube video just to show everyone how to do it safely. You know, just throwing that out there again. I'm holding on to that one. Matt, honestly, if you want to... YouTube make world. sure you can do a good thumbnail. Great. I'll make <laughs> now for you. You do it. Your YouTube channel will blow up. Seriously, it will. Oh, you know what? Oh, you, 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 your business will blow like, up too, actually. Yeah, we've been talking about right? how curious. Like, all those World Cup XE dudes be like. We've been curious about like, all right, what happens when you dope? Because I think a little bit happens, but I don't think it's insane amount. So like, well, you know, if we can get like, I don't know who makes EPO, but I don't know. Let's give it a jam. See what happens. Do it safely. And um, you guys can help out my YouTube channel. Oh, how many groupers or like recreational athletes have seen this and been like, well, it's not illegal for me. You know, I might try it or I'd love to. No, it is though, isn't it? Isn't it illegal for age groupers? They get pinged all the time. Depends what sport. And it's not like, it's not illegal. You're not going to go to jail for it. Um, but like, uh, if you're a day-to-day person who runs some marathons and stuff, you're obviously never going to get caught taking EPO. It's not possible. And even as like an age group triathlete, you, you don't get tested. Like it does happen. It's a waste it. of money. Come on, like to yeah. test age group is when you could be testing. Oh, and the sport doesn't want to catch them. It's like they're 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 money um, for you're the, not paying, the paying to be here. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, okay, like you ask like if that I, dude is like you know on the edge and like super drunk in the pub in the pub but he's like shouting rounds like yeah, he's just, oh, it's just 
until he starts a fight or like calls a girl a name that's going to start a fight, you keep him in the pub. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. Um, and someone taking EPO is pretty invested to racing quite a few races. Yeah. Yeah. Like one race. They're like, no, I'm going to fucking go and win every race. Like I'm invested in EPO, you know. And now I'm going to go, I qualify world champs. I got to like. Yeah, there's 20 grand to Ironman. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it's not to say Ironman, if they knew, would turn a blind eye, eye to it. They wouldn't. Like, if if Andrew Messick, the CEO of Ironman, knew specifically that an age grouper was doing it, he would not be okay with that. Like, trust me, he wouldn't. But there's a difference between, like, knowing it as fact and not being okay with it and it happening but it being, like, you know, a secret and turning a, a little bit of a – or, like, playing the – like, I don't know cards, so, like, I can't stop it. You know, that is a very different thing. Um, and I think there is a lot of that, like, oh, I don't know it's happening. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, you know, not turning a blind eye, but not caring enough about it because it's not really important to the business that, that probably happens. But how many people have heard like Colin Chartier take EPO and gone, yeah, I'd love to try that. Cause he won, right? Like, oh yeah, he was, he's made, he won a hundred grand. He's a beast too. Like he's so fucking good. He's so good. And he's he's canned. He's like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's, you know, he he's a pinup boy for like, if people are to believe that he's been doing it for a long time, like, yeah, like the um, the juice is worth the squeeze a little bit. And like, as an age grouper, there's like a mystique about it, or as like an average person, I think for some personality types, there's a mystique about it where you go, like, fuck, I just would love to see what it's like to ride my bike on EPO, or like go and run a marathon under the influence of EPO. Well, uh, I mean that that uh, Icarus. He did it, and he was like performed poor, like worse. Mm, yeah, I'm a little unsure about Icarus, mate. You know what I mean? Like, anyway, there's some. Ah, oh, yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. like who funded it? Better off to make him look worse than better. Mm-hmm. I think you're down the same path as me mm. with that one. I think if you go, on, if you, so if, that, if Matt ran that doco, yeah, man, be like, yeah. does that do it? Exactly. Yeah, if you it take it, so interesting. Doc- about it you're not getting like i've thought about that a lot like oh how good would it be just to take your your 20 something year old high performing athlete and just be like we're doping let's see how far we can go right you reckon when he gets caught or she gets caught we like we're like hey don't hate don't hate because this is actually a social experiment and this is like this is how bad it is it's like those stupid memes they're like they're really giving someone some shit and they're like, you know, those dumb things they do on the reels and no, oh, no, no, it's a joke. It's a joke. I, I wanted to get caught. We're making a video. viral. Video. Oh yeah. Like when they go around, like cut people's headphones yeah. like, it's, it's for YouTube. It's like, yeah, but it's still pick move. <laughs> You'll cut my headphones. Yeah. I mean, it, it's actually pretty controversial though, isn't it? To be like, um, you know, like, if you were someone, you wouldn't want to admit that seeing Colin Chartier take EPO made you have the thought, like, I fucking wish I could try that. But I reckon, I don't know, I, I would think a large percentage of people or a larger percentage of people than you might think, instead of getting pissed off, get curious and get like, oh, I wonder, oh, that would actually be quite interesting. Like, oh, I wish I could do that. Um, I think that's a real thing. I think how many people have thought forward about him not getting caught? Oh, mate. Because everyone thinks retroactively, like, oh, he fucking probably won this race. He ripped these people off. And and now, like, and now this person's probably dirty. And then, like, this association and this is how rife it is. Like, what if he didn't get caught? What does that oh, scenario look like? 
He doesn't stop. <laughs> if I- he doesn't stop, he probably tells some people, more people, you know, like he wasn't planning to get caught. Unless he was. That's an interesting side note. But unless he didn't really care about getting caught in the end because of some stuff. But anyway, I, I um because I have the podcast with Colin, Fred and Mika on it where they come in and talk, talk about their weekly training in the build-up to a race and during that build-up is when he got caught. I always think about if he didn't get caught, how would he have gone at the race? And would we have had on that series the race winner of the biggest oh, race? Yeah, they could have just – they could have waited, eh? Just- I know. Imagine this, right? If in a hypothetical world, Colin did get, get away with it right up until the race, won the race, and then got caught the week after. Just imagine how big that would have been. Now, it would have been bigger if he got fourth, right? <laughs> I haven't thought of that. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Because, like, if he gets 15th, 17th, 20th, everyone's like, uh, he's washed up anyway. Like, it, he's obviously not. But if he gets, like, fourth, you're like, whoa, with a good race, you know? Good. I hadn't thought about that. Wow. Wouldn't it's that hypothetical, so it doesn't matter. But I know. guess where it's, like, a bit tr- tricky is that the last race he did, he won, and well, like the the next. Well, like race, Kona, did he finish Kona? Then he walked the marathon. So, if the, like, but people forget about that because you know, like, it's different. He he just had a shit day where he probably fucked up his fueling and overtrained and stuff, and maybe it was a little bit harder to get away with it if he was doping. That's what people are saying because he was surrounded by people. I, I'm, you know, I take Colin's story on face value that he wasn't doping at that point, but because his big result that he had was a win, it makes people go well. No, he just had a crazy day. A lot of people around him looked normal that day. He he looked really good. He looked like the best athlete on it. That makes people think, well, maybe the sport is cleaner than what we think and Colin was an outlier. Um, but if he had to come fourth that day, then got caught, oh, wow. Yeah, that's fascinating to think about. And, and like, that's not, that's not out of the realms of possibility of happening with someone else this year. The ITA have got some pretty heavy hitters on board to to sort of help with this. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility that this happens, and the more people get caught this year, uh, that that's that's real. Yeah, but they said they did an investigation. Yeah, and everyone around them has no idea. <laughs> not yes, that's true, and that's definitely true that that there is parts of that that they didn't do well, but they are doing things behind the scenes that they're not telling people about. And the, like, I don't, like everyone is. I don't know if, yeah, I don't know everything there, but I've been educated a little bit and I'm confident that someone else will get caught and it won't just be Colin. I, I'm confident. For and sure. I, I think it feels like that too, right? Like it. Yeah. And I'm not saying someone specific. I don't know someone specific, but I know enough to make me believe that, this isn't the last doping like scandal in triathlon that we're going to have in the in the not too distant future. I believe that, and yeah, I actually have to go. So maybe this is a good time to just leave it here because I believe someone's going to get caught, and uh, I believe it's it's everywhere. Yep. All right. right. We look forward to seeing your video, Matt. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Or you like start a YouTube channel, The Doping Doctor. It would take off. And just all you do is discuss doping as well as having like, so do like three or four videos where you do like famous doping cases and you analyze them. 
like 10, 15 minute videos, like start with Lance Armstrong, move on to, you know, whatever it is, Colin Chartier, whoever you want to do. And then on your fourth or fifth video, once you've garnered, garnered a few subscribers, your channels become monetized because you've met view um, requirements. Do that, release the like, this is how you dope. And then just make your brand the doping doctor. You would seriously become rich off it on YouTube. <laughs> I'll put it on the list. Eh? <laughs> I'll write it on the whiteboard next to me. That's where all the all the good stuff goes. So yeah. Just before you go then, Matt, what's the best idea you have right now that you're you're going to do in, in the near future, but you haven't done yet? Um <laughs> I reckon we need um brake sensors on road bikes in triathlon. All these guys are talking about these marginal gains that are very marginal and and I think uh no one's ever looked at braking in road bikes. So I think that's that's next. So if Jake doesn't know Matt's invented the first ever brake sensor software combination thing for mountain bikes. So Right. I want to ask you to go deeper on that, but you've got to go. So don't do that. I'll, I'll go and investigate myself and we can talk about it if we ever do a podcast again, but I like it. I think that's, yeah, I like it. Big and gains, big gains. Triathlon, mate. You, you bring something like that to the market, people will buy it. In, in the works, in the works, watch this space. <laughs> nice. All right. Sweet. All right. Thanks boys. I'm going to sign off. Have a All good right, day. We'll sign later. off there. Thanks, Iran. Thanks for listening.